Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on the home of Common Sense. It is, of course, Talk Radio. It's Friday, but it's a pretty gloomy start to the 1st of October, ladies and gentlemen. I'm afraid the rain is set to batter down all weekend. With a bit of luck, it might actually put off those numpties from Insulate Britain who are back out on the motorways wreaking havoc this morning. They're currently out at three different locations, stopping the traffic and infuriating commuters. There's lots to talk about this morning, though, in the wake of the life sentence handed down yesterday to police officer Wayne Cousins at the Old Bailey for the brutal murder of Sarah Everard. There are multiple calls from Metropolitan Police Chief Cressida Dick to resign amid accusations that there could be more rogue police officers lurking in the force. And amid concerns about public trust in individual officers, the police have actually issued instructions for people to flag down buses and shout out loud if they're unsure of any officer that they encounter. They've also said they will stop lone patrols by plainclothes officers as well. This morning, I'll be asking Richard Tice, leader of the Reform UK party, just how Cressida Dick can stay in her job and he He'll be giving us his take on the week in politics as well. And if you're out and about, of course, we need to hear from you as well. Are there still queues at petrol stations? What are you seeing? What are you hearing? 0344 499 1000. Coming up, we've got Jamie Jenkins on the news that face-to-face appointments with GPs have fallen by a million in just one month. Plus, he'll be telling us how far off the truth those sage maniacs were with their dire predictions on COVID hospital admissions. Guess what? It's not as bad as they said it would be. We're also going live to the White House to catch up with the latest on Joe Biden, whose popularity is plummeting faster than energy prices are soaring. Ksenia Pavlovich Makatir will be bringing us the details and we'll be asking why on earth St Andrews University has decided to redefine the word equality, which apparently no longer means treating everybody the same. It's more woke madness, I'm afraid. 0344 499 1000. You'll listen to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, it's a pretty gloomy Friday morning, but it is the 1st of October, and time to say a very good morning to Mr. Richard Tice. Richard. Mike, morning. I think it's hard to say good morning. You know, with the weather as it is out there, the grey, the gloom. And all around us, the news is so grey and gloomy as well. Isn't it just? It's I mean, absolutely it's, incredible. It really is extraordinary. This is the day, of course, that uh, people's energy bills are soaring. Millions of people up and down the country, uh, you know, are seeing huge increases to their energy bills. And we seem to have, I think we've still got a Prime Minister, but has anyone seen him? Anyone well, you heard know, it's funny because you were in uh, doing Plank of the Week, which went very well. Uh, it's out there now if you haven't seen it. Richard uh, Tice is on there in the brand new studio. It's a fantastic set and everything. And you actually said that day, which was Tuesday, we haven't seen him. What's he doing? Funnily enough, he came out, didn't he, later on that day, very briefly, uh, to tell everybody to basically keep calm and carry on. He was, and it's kind of like, sorry? It's, but it's as though he's completely out of touch. He's mm. always about four days behind. Yeah. You know, the point of leadership is that you are you preempt things you get ahead of the game you're on the front foot you lead from the front not you sort of you know see which way the wind's blowing and which way the veins going of public right. opinion uh, and then sort of respond accordingly yeah. and he he said just just carry on as normal hang on you can't carry on as normal when there are queues uh, literally hundreds and hundreds of yards long mm. On petrol stations yep. around, you know, large parts, particularly the southeast, where I think it's worse. It's much worse, I think, in the southeast than anywhere else. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and so you just get the impression that here's a guy that has no idea what's going on in the country that he's supposed to be leading. No, it's quite tragic, isn't it, in a way? Because he'd come out and said nothing about the police situation, which is also very dire, which we must talk about this morning first yep. up, I think, because we'll come back to energy. Um, Cressida Dick. I can't believe she's still in a job. I can't believe that the reason they're saying she's still in a job, oh, we haven't really got anybody else to do it. I mean, it's appalling. I've been calling for her to resign for months, ever since the Sarah uh, Everard vigil. Yeah. And uh, then you've got the, uh, you had the, the report coming out about the Daniel Morgan uh, report when the, the force was described as institutionally corrupt. Yeah. Uh, you've got the, the sh- absolute shambles over Operation Midland. Again, that she was, you know, her footprints, yes. her fingerprints are over, you know, all these All things. the way back to Stephen Lawrence, really. All the way back. Uh, and yet, for some reason, uh, they don't seem to be able to identify her fingerprints, mm. even though they're everywhere on all of these things. Yeah. And that the um, the only rationale that Priti Patel and the government could find for reappointing her was continuity. Yes. What about, we want someone who's brilliant. Mm. We want someone who's a great leader, a motivator, who's respected, who does a great job. None of that, just continuity. Yes. I mean, really? 
And if, if they haven't got anybody better within the Met mm. or elsewhere in police forces up and down the country, then why not, you know, why not bring in someone from the outside, a fantastic, motivating, experienced general or brigadier yeah. or colonel, you know, from the forces who's got a great career, who could come in and shake up the Met? Because in my view, I think that, you know, we value the frontline police officers, the men and women on the front line, but they are badly led. Yeah. Uh, they've got woeful technology, woeful systems, and it needs a proper shake-up. Yeah. And I have no confidence that that's going to happen from within. I think it needs a proper shake-up from outside. And we've got a government at the moment that just says continuity. In other words, continuity of woeful, woeful performance... And I think a loss of confidence yeah. from many people not, in the public. And I'm not buying this lone, um, you know, sort of bad apple theory where, oh, there's always somebody bad in every organisation. Well, you might say that, but, you know, I don't know very many organisations that harbour brutal killers and murderers who could have been spotted some time before that. It was only in February of this year that he drove into a McDonald's um, drive through wearing nothing below the waist, right? And alarming the, the woman behind the till to such an extent that she called the police. The police were informed of that. They must have known who he was. They must have had his registration number. Why the hell didn't they do something? I, I think, as I understand, reading the same uh, same information, I think exactly that. They, they did know the registration yeah. number. So you, you're then left with a sense that, uh, and I think this just flows through every time we hear big issues, that um, the police know, but it's sort of, uh, there's an excuse. Yeah. Uh, there's a culture of, of cover-up, of we'll learn the lesson, we won't do it again. And I just don't think that's good enough. Mm. I think that the the public quite rightly expects that the the threshold, the bar of expectation, the standards that we expect from our police is higher, and rightly so. Yeah. And no one's saying that, look, it's, it's not an easy job. Mm. It's difficult. But there is a consistent theme of, of failures, of a lack of transparency... Uh, and frankly, a total lack of accountability yeah. in, any, well, in any normal business. Like everybody else, we here at Talk Radio have been trying to get people to come on from the Metropolitan Police. There's nobody available. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. But, but, you know, when something goes really badly wrong in a business, then people are held accountable. And sometimes people are fired. Yeah. And that's the way of life. But it seems in, in, in the public sector, this just doesn't seem to happen. People either get a little slap on the wrist... Mm. Uh, they get sent on a training course. Or they end up or in the House of get, Lords. Or they end up in the House of Lords or shifted somewhere else. Uh. And that's just not good enough. We need proper accountability. Uh, you know, we're paying for these mm. people and we want some performance. Yeah, and for the answer for the police to say, well, you know, we're pretty sure we haven't got anybody else like this in force, but uh, just in case anyone approaches you with a warrant card, uh, hail a bus down uh, and see if you can get them to help you out. Really? I mean, is that the answer? It's, it's a tragic sign of the loss of confidence and the and the real concern everywhere, where you're actually saying, where, where the Met Police are saying to Londoners, if you're approached by a single officer, mm. then in a sense, don't believe right. that, they're, they're, that they are a decent law-abiding officer. That's a very bad place to be. It really is. That is, that is, that is not continuity. Mm. That is disastrous. I think it's unacceptable yeah. for all of us Londoners, and I think we deserve better. And I've, got, I've had many conversations since the sentence was handed down yesterday from friends of mine who've got daughters of varying ages. Uh, I've got one myself who doesn't actually live here now, but, but if she was living here, I'd have been having the same conversation with her. Is, you know, they're asking, well, can we not trust the police anymore? And that is a terrible question it's, to have to be asked. It, it's a terrible, terrible question uh, both ways. And, and where's the Prime Minister on this? Yeah. You well, know, where's, exactly. he, where's he saying, you know, I, I've listened to this, we've got to get on top of mm. it, we can trust the police, you know, they are a fantastic, uh, you know, hard-working uh, cadre of mm. folk, um, and we need to learn the lessons, and we will learn the lessons, and we'll increase the transparency. That's the positive, mm. uplifting leadership that we should get from a prime minister at such a serious yes. moment. But well, there's nothing. He's well, silent. He's gone. He is. And let's find out what he's going to say next week, because Tory party conference, of course, kicks off on Sunday. Uh, you will have a similarly uh, charged event going on at the same time, uh, which may prove to be more entertaining. Um, We've got Boris Johnson, I guess, speaking next Wednesday. I'll get your views on Starmer in a minute, but tell us about your plans this weekend. So uh, on Sunday is where you'll get the truth, the whole truth, and some bold, ambitious, dynamic ideas, mm. because on Sunday uh, I'm leading the Reform UK conference, which we thought, helpfully, we would hold in the same city of Manchester, which I love very dearly because I was at university up there. Uh -huh. 
And so we're holding it in the same city as the Tory conference at the same time. It makes it easier for disgruntled, dissatisfied Tories. Uh, who to knows, maybe the maybe road. even an MP can just uh, walk uh, a couple of blocks down mm. the road and join us. Yes. Uh, why not? Because you'll hear some dynamic, proper solutions mm. to the problems that the country's got. I'm not sure you're going to hear any from the Prime Minister or anybody in the Tory conference. Well, I mean, I suppose it will be slightly more entertaining, Boris's speech, than uh, Sir Keir Starmer's, because I don't think you'll find anything less entertaining. <laughs> That's not a hard bar to 90 beat. minutes. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it was a bit like being locked in some kind of, you know, solitary confinement in North Korea, having to listen to that. When they kept panning around to the public watching it, or the members of the Labour Party, they all looked really, really glum, because it was just hopeless, wasn't it? Well, offered nothing, really. That's the point. If you say, what did you take away from that speech? The answer is 88 minutes of not a lot. Uh, And and the only thing I think people remember is 88 minutes. Mm. Whereas what you wanted was was a bold message that that his supporters and potential uh, voters could say, that's interesting. Mm. And and I don't think they did get... I I think in fairness, and I'm a fair man, I uh, I think in fairness, what you did have was... 95% 95% of the audience actually were trying to support him. They were trying to deal with the, uh, to ignore, you know, the, the lefty nutters mm. uh, in the room and, and, and that continue to uh, permeate that party. And I, actually, I do think the best thing he did actually in that speech was the way he dealt with the hecklers. Yes. Uh, well, without the hecklers, it was it, it was going nowhere. I mean, they actually said, livened it up a bit. That's the, about the only other thing you remember: <laughs> the hecklers and eighty-eight minutes. Yeah. I mean, it's not a great uh, it's not a great pitch to the uh, to the voting public. It really isn't. It's like you know, you watched a football match for a very, 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 very long time, and it ended up nil-nil when you nil-nil and no penalties and no, no penalties, excitement, no nothing. no fouls, no, no sending offs. I mean, no, and you don't really want them to have a replay because you can't <laughs> face go through it again. But as if by magic, right? You've arrived in here today, and the Guardian have written a big piece about you. And even more surprisingly, it's actually not that negative. Why are you surprised, Mike? Well, I mean, because <laughs> Peter Walker's written it for a start. You know, he's not known for his support of Brexit. And the world is, I, I think things are looking up. The world is a kinder, gentler, more compassionate mm. place, clearly, because The Guardian have written a nice piece about me. It's online. Yeah. Uh, I think, I mean, obviously, many of your listeners have The Guardian on their breakfast tables. They do. I mean, they normally uh, seem to be it may up. Be, I, Well, <laughs> I think it may be in print tomorrow. Uh, we'll see. But. Um, uh, it is online. It's on our Twitter feed. Yeah. Have a look. There wasn't any money changing hands or anything, was there? <laughs> Outrageous allegation. You know, What's going I mean, on? For heaven's sake. For he- but, but, I mean, basically, I've, I mean, it's a serious question. A lot of people do say to me, look, it's all very well you talking to Richard Tice, but what does a reform party actually stand for? Because we know that you were the former Brexit party, and Brexit's now happened, depending on who you talk to. Um, but this piece actually kind of explains that you are yeah. about other things. No, we absolutely are. And, and we'll be expanding on some really big, dynamic uh, plans for the future, on Sunday, but you know we stand for uh, for cutting taxes for six million of the lowest paid mm. to zero by lifting the tax threshold. We cutting cutting taxes for small businesses, uh, you know who are the engine room of of our economy. So that's how you get higher growth. That's how you get higher wages. Uh, we've got a big plans for healthcare. We're announcing on Sunday, and also we're going to be announcing our smart energy and environmental plans on Sunday, as opposed to what I call the Tory net stupid right. delusional green plan. So we've got three, you know, big key ways that this country can be better run uh, to do with you. you, We've got to grow the economy Mm. out of this crisis. The the con-socialists, the Tories and the Labour Party, they're outbidding each other to increase the taxes. You can't tax you out of this this crisis. Therein lies the road to ruin. So on the economy, we've got a vision of high growth. On healthcare, we've got a bold vision we'll be unleashing on Sunday and likewise on energy. And, you know, we're in a situation where People's energy bills are soaring. Yeah, I mean, absolutely Literally ridiculously. Soaring. I mean, uh, even even my own have doubled. But this is since April. But this is all due to the utter mismanagement over the last decade by this Conservative government, who've yeah. literally outsourced everything. I mean, we have got we've got fifty years worth mm. of cheap shale gas, and literally under the feet of many of your listeners and viewers, and uh, and and because a few eco bullies rocked up. Uh, the uh, the Tories have bottled it, yeah. despite a manifesto pledge that they were going to access it. So, you know, we're now subject to, to the whims of Putin right. and, and French dodgy connections. And even, and even Greta Thunberg isn't buying it. She's going, no, you're not even doing anything. So, I mean, this idea that we are somehow leading the world with green energy plans is nonsensical. And if Boris Johnson spends next week telling everybody that, I think he's going to lose even more credibility, isn't he? I think he is because we're just at the foothills of the cost mm. of their delusional uh, net zero plans to back, to get rid of everybody's boilers and replace them with noisy, space-consuming heat pumps, heat pumps yeah. uh, that won't actually 
pump your your home with hot water and and, and warm your rooms. Yeah. And therefore, your bills are going to go up and up. Yeah. So this is we're just at the fo- foothills of this, mm. and I think that uh, this is a sharp wake-up call. There is a much smarter, more affordable, more strategic way to run our our, our nation's energy policy, and that's what we're going to be talking but about. But that's it. I mean, while people are queuing up at petrol stations, while Insulate Britain are blocking your roadway from uh, getting to work, while people's energy prices are going through the roof, I mean, is he really going to be trying to sell us this green cobblers? Because that's what it is. Who knows? If he does, then I think people are going to ask questions, mm. uh, more and more questions, because it's really beginning to bite now. And, you know, I'm quite sure your listeners will be sending tweets in, messages in. Um, and amongst all this gloom, uh, I've got my Sunday show on uh, on Sunday morning. It's a little bit shorter, 10 to 12. And I'm going to try and inject some positivity, some yeah. hope, some enthusiasm amongst all this greyness and this gloom, Mike. Excellent stuff. Well, stay where you are because we've got a few other things to talk about. Richard Tice is here. This is Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Gray on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. This is, of course, the home of common sense. There will be more common sense coming from Richard Tice on Sunday. The only question I've got for you, Richard, is have you got enough petrol to get to Manchester? Because uh, Ronaldo's out in force. He couldn't get any for his Bentley the other day. I saw that, his um, fleet of Bentley. And apparently he's got somebody else trying to trying to, trying to to fill up the Range Rover. So, I mean, Ronaldo alone will probably empty all the petrol stations anywhere around Old Trafford. Uh, I, I, I've <laughs> taken that into account in my strategic planning. Yes, yeah, good. I've thought ahead and I'm going up by train. There you go. Well, there how green you know, can you be exactly i'm doing my bit right and also those idiots from insulate britain won't be able to get in the way of the train hopefully hopefully but mm. who knows yeah uh, i mean it's it, it is absolutely staggering that they are still leading uh, the police and merry dance yeah uh, they're still disrupting uh, hundreds of thousands of people mm. uh, in the southeast around the m25 the m4 and the government once again seems to be completely on the back foot you know was it not obvious that if you have an injunction just for a couple of junctions yeah then they're going to move to a different yes. junction. Surely you just say, uh, this is a, a, a major issue, we'll have a nation, nationwide mm. injunction, and because you look like you're going to com- continue to breach it, then we will use the appropriate laws that currently exist. They already have the laws. They already have the yeah. laws, and they can just actually just lock them up. Yeah. And I think millions of people would cheer from the rafters. Well, it's turning very nasty now, because I was told this morning, one of the uh, there are three different locations apparently this morning, one of them just off the M4 outside a place called Hayes, uh, near, near Heathrow Airport. And apparently um, people were getting out of their cars and trying to attack them. And there was one guy who apparently grabbed their um, banner and ripped it up and chucked it into a hedge. I mean, something's going to happen. Something bad is going to happen. There's going to be and, violent disorder. And, and, you know, no one can condone that. But you can understand the frustration of, of people when they see that actually uh, the police that we pay to do this job, mm. to provide that protection, to keep the law, to uphold the law, that because of weak leadership, and I've, you know, I revert to this leadership issue, it's not the frontline officers' fault. Mm. It's the leadership that they're not getting, uh, you know, from the top of their respective forces to say to them, deal with this, deal it in a in a robust, firm way, and we'll back you up to the hilt. Absolutely, and because and it's, just, it's you know, I think that it's as you say, we are at a we're at a tipping point where essentially um, decent, law-abiding drivers are, are are essentially having to take the law into their mm. own hands in order to be able to get to hospital, get to a doctor's yeah. appointment. Earn a living. Well, imagine if you've literally spent two hours waiting in a queue to get some petrol to take your son to yeah. doctors or to the hospital or something like that, and you get on the motorway and you get held up by these morons. It's, it's I mean, it's you'd utterly, be forgiven for reacting. In a it's bad utterly way. awful, and I think people are just uh, just literally up and down the country tearing their mm. hair out at the lunacy of these idiots and the lack of leadership yeah. from the authorities to be able to properly deal right. with it. Well, I mean, we had a message yesterday from someone who had been driving around the M25 and he said there were literally police on almost every bridge that he went under. And, I mean, what sort of manpower must they be having to provide just to keep an eye on these idiots? Uh, which, of course, is manpower that's taken from elsewhere, yeah. taken from our communities, mm. taken from our streets, where they should be, mm. preemptively, uh, you know, keeping in touch with the communities, identifying the wrong uns, yeah. preventing crime, catching criminals, yes. uh, rather than being forced to deal with these idiots, mm. these disruptive uh, idiots who mm. are just unbelievably selfish and, and creating real danger for yes. the general public. And, and, indeed, and indeed danger 
For the police officers. For the police officers as well. And the final story I suppose we haven't touched upon quite yet is the HGV situation, the whole kind of supply chain problem, because we were hearing yesterday uh, from various trade unions that, you know, there's a supply chain problems are now going all the way around the world. It's not just Britain. It's not anything to do with Brexit, although Brexit may be a factor. But the fact is that, again, the government's kind of on the missing list here. Uh, completely on the missing list. You've got ministers coming onto the airwaves, I think Julia's cha- um, programme mm. and others. And again, they they just seem completely out of touch. Mm. You know, it is it is still not good in the southeast. Why haven't they, for example, on the front foot said, you know, we would encourage people only to take thirty or forty yeah. quid's worth? Why well, haven't you of, make it the case that rather than ex- just encouraging exactly. them? Exactly, every, everywhere make they're that doing the moral that, imperative. Everywhere you're, where that is happening, there isn't a queue. Exactly. Right. It, again, it's common sense. Mm. It's not rocket science. Right. You don't need a, a degree to work no. that out. And I just think the government are. Are misle- well, they're misleading people, they're out of touch, and we've got to the stage, once again, that people no longer trust a single word that cabinet ministers mm. say, and, and ministers, and that, again, is a really bad place for our nation to be in. We, we deserve and we can do so much better. And some people are saying that that's one of the reasons why the queues actually started, because as soon as Grant Shapps uttered the yes. immortal words, don't panic, everybody yeah. went, well, we're not listening to the word he says. Exactly. And, and, and again, that's a failure of leadership. It's a failure of confidence. And it's, it's not a great place for this incredible nation to be in. No, it really isn't. Well, Richard, look forward very much to uh, Sunday. Uh, so you're on at 10 o'clock as usual. I'm on at 10 o'clock. And then uh, the Reform UK Party uh, conference goes on. So if you're a Tory that's thinking about leading in a different direction, there's this place for you to go. There'll be a warm cup of coffee and a gentle hug, I'm sure, <laughs> for anybody who wants to cross the road. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's talk to Norman Brennan, who's, of course, a retired London police officer, director of the Law and Order Federation. Norman, a very good morning to you. Yeah, good morning, Mike. I mean, uh, ironic, really, that we're going to talk in a moment, obviously, about Wayne Cousins. But these maniacs are are, are causing havoc up and down the country. They don't seem to care about law and order. They don't seem to care about injunctions. They're going to continue to do this. Um, I feel bad for the police because I don't think the police know what they're allowed to do anymore. Well, I completely agree with you. I mean, many of my own mates... Um, are sick and tired when I meet and have a beer or a curry. Mm. Uh, one of the first things they say is they're morons on the M25. They use uh, a bit more choice language. Yeah, I bet. Uh, this is the ninth day. This is the ninth day. There's an injunction out, and that is contempt of court. And my understanding, Mike, of contempt of court is if you breach that, it's like the sheriff's coming round. There is no yes, but, maybes. You will be put before the next court hearing and put in prison. Yeah. They're released time and time again to go back and do the same again. The law's an ass Mm. in this case, and the law is on its head. And as you rightly say, it's the frontline officers that uh, take the flak. And I'm fully supportive of these motorists' frustration. And I think I said on your programme, not your programme, one of the others, a a television programme, if I wanted to get to an appointment and I've got to speak and see someone very urgently soon, and one of those morons are in my way, and there's no police officer there, Mike. I'm telling you what I'm going to do, yeah. and I advise people on the law. I will get hold of them and remove them out of my way and ask other motorists to do. Because in law, common law, we have the right. And then I will say to everybody else, please continue your journey to visit hospitals. Yeah. Do, do, do a delivery or go for your holiday to Sydney airport yeah. where you might miss your flight. Right, and also if they're going to completely um, just uh, abandon any kind of legal situation that they're putting, putting themselves in and they're just taking the law into their own hands, then that's what other people are going to do too. I mean, I was suggesting earlier that we find out who these people are uh, and you take away their benefits. Lots of them seem to be on benefits. How about you just stop their benefits and see how they like that? Because obviously what we need to do now is fight guerrilla war with guerrilla warfare. Well... Or even block their driveways. Inconvenience them. Block block them in a, a, a supermarket. I mean, the devil part of me, which is not what's speaking at the moment, thinks like that. Yeah. And if I think like that, when, like you, I'm a law-abiding member of the public, how are these frustrated people going to... They're just normal people. Yeah. And as you rightly say, and the point here, Mike, is if we all have a grievance, <clears throat> and by golly, how many of us haven't, and we started going out and blocking the M25 or every motorway in Britain, it will be a free-for-all. I mean, that is anarchy. I mean, you know, we've either got nip this in the bud or we say to the British public, if you're a bit angry, go out, damage property, block motorways, inconvenience people's lives and businesses. All we're going to do is nick you 
and say goodbye to you in an hour's time so you can go back and do exactly what you were doing when we nicked you. Yeah, that seems to me to be the problem as well, just letting them go and then they go back and do it because they've got nothing else to do. The only thing that surprises me is that they don't seem to do it at the weekends. So maybe you should find out what they do at the weekends and go and interrupt whatever it is that they're enjoying. <laughs> you know, but that's another story. Let's talk about a far more serious uh, matter, and that is, of course, the state of, of play with the Metropolitan Police. I was talking to um, Richard Tice there, who, like many people, is calling for Cressida Dick to resign. Lots of people in the police who support her saying, well, the thing is, there isn't really anyone else that can do the job. Seems ludicrous, doesn't it? It does. Um It'll be, be easy for me. I mean, I'm regularly kicking the uh, the backsides of senior management within the police and chief constables and police crime commissioners for being completely detached from frontline officers, the public and victims of crime. But with Cressida, I've known her for 20, 25 years. Her and I locked horns when she was a commander and I was a frontline PC uh, over institutionally racist. Fair enough, she gave me the respect and I gave her the respect. I've then seen her on the John Charles de Menze investigation uh, and many other investigations. Mm -hmm. And it, the thing is, Mike, she isn't actually that bad. Mm. I mean, I, if, if I did, you know me, by golly, if I thought a chief constable was absolutely crap and shouldn't be in their job, I'd be on here and posting on social media. I don't feel that way with Cressida. And even at the Sarah Everard vigil, um, I actually supported her. And what people don't know, even on that, is the Home Secretary and the Prime Minister told her and the Metropolitan Police to police it under the COVID regulations. When it all went a bit bosoms up, as they say, everybody run for the hills mm. and the Commissioner saying, hang on a minute, uh, you asked me to police this in the way I have. And she took all the flack. And as a result of that, I personally stood by her and the Metropolitan Police and I stated at the time, Mike, that within a week or two, the Met would be completely exonerated. They were. And not one of the people that condemned the commissioner or the Met apologised thereafter. Well, so I might, think Sadiq Khan be... has a fair amount of uh, blame to be put on his shoulders as well, doesn't he? Oh, he absolutely does. I mean, Sadiq Khan, I mean, he's, he's detached. He seems to have his own little uh, cliches, so many... Uh, hundreds of thousands of people believe in London um, and it's almost damn everyone else every now and then he comes up after killing of a child after a killing of a child stabbed or shot to death mm. all he ever says is it's dreadful I'm in touch with the commissioner well we all know it's dreadful yeah. and the commissioner is in touch with officers risking their lives day in and day out and saving the lives of, of these victims and nobody seems to do anything Mike it's a very black day for the Metropolitan Police it's a very black day for the police service in general. Mm. But I just want to put this into perspective. In 192 years of policing, this is the only one, and it's one far too many, where an officer has behaved, which is what you and I would watch, as a horror movie. Yeah. Now, we have to put that into perspective. And now, as a result of that, the ramifications are, if you're a single officer on your own and plain clothes, which I often was as a detective, and you answer a 999 call, it's getting to the stage now where chief police officers are saying, if that member of the public or female um, doesn't believe that you're a police officer, uh, she hasn't got a phone, you've got to ring 999 yeah. on your own phone mm -hmm. and hand it to her for them to confirm that you have just answered the yeah. 999 but, call. But you her. also know, Norman, that, that, that there won't just be women that do that. There will be men that do that. So my next question is, is how does that affect your ability to perform your duties as a as a plainclothes police officer? I, it, it, it's, I mean, the police already have got one hand uh, uh, tied behind their back. And then the other point there, Mike, is supposing the person that you were called to, um, unbeknown to you, was smuggling drugs, was involved in a drugs ring yeah and when you stop her because what the guys do is they say look you take the drugs you deal with that you store it at your house mm. and when you stop her the plan is this is you use your phone and you say i'm going to phone 999 to find out who you are and the officer because he thinks my god i don't want to upset somebody i, I want to keep my job and go home to my family mm. says all right love you do that and what she does is she phones her courier and says dump it how yeah. can you then prevent those drugs that probably you spent hundreds of thousands mm. on observations doing. Mike, this has not been well thought through. No. And sadly, I'm seeing droves of police officers saying, I've had enough. Yeah. Leadership, 
is woeful. But that's what I'm saying. You know, and it's all very well for you to say, Norman, that Cressida's not that bad, but surely her role is not only to instruct her own officers as to how they should conduct themselves, but also uh, to argue with politicians and to argue with people at the Home Office. If they say to her, this is what we want you to do and this is how we want you to police, surely she has to push back on that sometimes if she knows better rather than just do what they tell her, knowing that that's not going to work out. Well, my biggest criticism of Cressida Dick and chief constables and police crime commissioners around Britain is this, is that when the police are maligned, when the police have been involved in a controversial arrest where it's all over social media, the bosses stand back and the frontline officers that were there risking their lives, sometimes injured, have to go home, see on the television and look on social media about them being condemned and damned in the arrest. If Cressida Dick and these chief constables actually released body-worn camera, it could kill that malicious complaint dead. And the, the, the actual saying is this, is a liar can travel halfway around the world before the truth has mm. got its trousers on. And the damage that does to policing is sometimes irrevocable yeah. because so many people hate police now. So many people just want to see uh, a negative story on the policing and they kick them. And the thing is, the police are saying, do you know what? I could become a HGG driver. Yeah. I could become a plumber. I could go out and get a job earning almost double what I do. I don't have to have my rest days mm. and holidays cancelled. And I will have my life back. And I'm telling you now, if the police leave at the numbers that they're leaving at the moment, not only will the public lose some of the best police officers in the world, the police service will be broken. And my message to the Britain is this. How can broken fix a broken society mm, exactly when you're when you're getting the police themselves saying if you don't really think the person who's trying to arrest you is properly a kosher police officer by all means wave down a bus to see whether they can help you i mean god's sake i mean is that really the best they can do well mike last night and i was careful not to post it but i mean i have a computerized brain and i think about policing law and all of the law and the rest of it and I thought this, just supposing, and this is, God forbid, this is almost like a devil's advocate, two young men got police uniforms. They're not police. They got the equipment of a police officer. You can get them online. And they got a car, and they put a couple of blue lights in the grill, and they went round the streets of London or anywhere else in Britain, and they committed an identical offence to that dreadful man, I won't even mention his name, mm. the ex-Mets officer, yeah. and he, yes, he was serving at the time, and they committed an identical offence. What would we do then, Mike? Would it be we then need three officers to attend? Will it be four? Chief constables and the commissioner and the College of Policing have not thought this through. And another thing, although women are, so they say, unsafe on the streets and we have to listen to them because they are the women it's right and proper i say i tell you the stats in the last 18 months 180 women have been murdered in britain five five have been killed on our streets 175 175 have been murdered in their own home behind their own closed doors mm. by a current or previous partner you're more likely to be murdered gbh or raped coerced and have your life destroyed behind your own front door and although murder is murder and all are dreadful what are we doing mm. about the 175 women that have been murdered behind their own door we all know now that the met are going to put 566 more officers on the streets of London to reassure women. But they should be there, Mike, mm. no disrespect, reassuring everybody. If you've been burgled, you've been assaulted, you've had your car stolen, you've had your pedal cycle stolen, all of those should be entitled mm. to a police officer. And it shouldn't be, and I'm careful what I say because I look after homicide families, it shouldn't be those that shout the loudest, it shouldn't be the crime that hits the headlines and embarrasses the police the most that should be looked after. Every victim of crime, and it was when I joined the police service 40 years ago, if you phoned 999 or called the police, we turned up. 
we sat down with you, we took a statement, we reassured you, we went out and investigated. And even if we couldn't nick the people, the public respected us because we turned up, listened, cared and responded to them. What does it say now when you phone 999 and you're lucky to get through, you're lucky to get a police officer, and they'll often turn up and say, I'm sorry, love, sorry, mate. Uh, I don't think there's going to be a chance of nicking anybody here. But uh, just be careful, lock your doors in future and leave. Yeah. That disenfranchises what was commonly known as community policing. We've lost it. And unless we get it back, Mike, I believe that we are going to lose the best police service in the world because they will leave and get another job. Yeah. Very well said, Norman. Thank you very much indeed for your time. Norman Brennan, uh, former police officer, of course, director of the Law and Order Foundation, uh, with some interesting stats there that out of uh, 180 women murdered in the last 18 months, 175 of them were murdered behind closed doors in their own homes. So... Uh, on the other hand, here's another stat for you. Uh, more than 750 Metropolitan Police employees have faced sexual misconduct allegations since 2010, with just 83 of them sacked. Surely the point now is is that, regardless of what Norman said about Cressida Dick, it's time for her to go, isn't it? A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Right now, though, I'm going to talk to, to uh, Brendan O'Neill, Chief Political Editor at Spikes Online, because let me tell you this. We've seen some dopey woke stories this week. We did the fireworks display the other day, uh, bonfire night without the bonfire. Now we've got St Andrews University setting a bias test for entry into the organisation in which, believe it or not, they have actually redefined the word equality. Brendan, a very good morning to you. Hi, Mike. How's it going? Yeah, very well. I mean, I've seen some nonsense this week, but this, I think, tops the lot. They've actually now redefined equality to mean not treating everybody equally. <laughs> that, that's the thing that leapt out of me as well. I noticed right. that instantly. I thought that this is a real problem because what's happening in, in St. Andrews and other universities, too, is that they seem to have forgotten their mission of educating students about the world and yeah. about their subject. And instead, they're kind of inculcating them into woke conformism. You know, universities have become these factories of wokeness. They yeah. take young people in, they eat them up, and they spit them out as these kind of nodding dogs of political correctness. It's a real tragedy that this is happening. And I thought the fact that St. Andrews now encourages this new intake of students to have this misunderstanding of equality so that they think it means it can mean treating people differently, yes. that shows how much this kind of ideological worldview is being foiled on young people in a really bad way. Well, this is the actual wording of the question. Does equality mean treating everyone the same? And those who respond yes are told this. That's not right. In fact, equality may mean treating people differently and in a way that is appropriate to their needs so that they have fair outcomes and equal opportunity. Well, if you're treating people differently, surely they don't have equal opportunity, do they? (laughs) That's the point. (laughs) You know, if you're treating people differently, then you're treating them unequally. The whole point of equality is that everyone has a fair chance. We don't care what your background is or your skin colour mm. or your sex or your sexuality. Everyone should have a, should have a fair shot at the job, at the, at the course at university, at anything they want to do. But this notion that's now being pushed by St Andrews and others, that you, it means treating people differently, that's actually an invitation to judge people according to their race 
or according to their sex or according to where they come from, just in case they might need a helping hand or an extra bit of sympathy, or they might need to be understood in a different way. It's actually an invitation to a very divisive form of thinking, which I think undercuts the whole goal of equality, which is that people should have a fair shot regardless of their background. And of course, all of the people making these kind of rules up are incredibly privileged people, regardless Mm -hmm. of whatever their opportunities were or whatever their colour of their skin is or what class they come from. They are now sitting in academia, uh, very high on the hog, in a very nice part of Scotland, presumably with a very nice salary and rather a nice lifestyle. Exactly. And I had the same thought about the University of Kent, because the University of Kent has also been in the news this week for trying to get students to follow the new woke orthodoxies. And it's giving students a survey about white privilege. And and one of the examples of white privilege is that you can wear secondhand clothes without (laughs) being judged for it. And I just thought you have these incredibly well-paid administrators at a university like Kent or St. Andrews who are telling these students, some of whom will be from ordinary working class backgrounds, about how privileged they are, about the fact that if you wear secondhand clothes, you could be privileged. If you swear, that's another example of white privilege. <laughs> all these all these ridiculous ideas. I'm in a lot of trouble. Yeah, exactly. You and I are obviously very privileged indeed. Yeah. But this is this is all the, the backward stuff that's being foisted on young people. And I think the serious point here is that What's happening? You know, young people, if they ask me now, should I go to university? I'm very tempted to say, no, you shouldn't, yeah. because it's no longer about education. It's it's about being given the correct way of thinking. And you'd be far better off learning a trade or getting a job and keeping your independence of mind. Absolutely. And not being in £30,000 worth of debt after three years <laughs> of, the, the, of the ludicrous indoctrination. The other good one I see here from St Andrews is personal guilt. Acknowledging your personal guilt is a useful start point in overcoming unconscious bias. Uh, I mean, all the words are in there, personal guilt, unconscious bias, all these phrases are just uh, are thrown around these days and people very rarely stop to ask what they mean. And and what I want to know is why on earth should an 18 year old kid going to university who has never done or said anything racist, which will be the case for the majority mm. of them, why should they feel guilty about anything? These are just kids who want to learn about the world and do some good. And and this idea of unconscious bias, the idea that we all have these biases lurking within us and it's down to the expert classes and the psycho babblers to tempt them out and to and to correct them. It's really giving rise to a very divided world and also to one in which people have more authority over us because we're constantly seen as being in need of moral correction. So this really sums up the problem with the woke ideology. And I, I really hope some students start to push back against it. I really hope so too. Brendan, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Brendan O'Neill, Chief Political Editor at Spiked Online. The wokists have gone completely mad. And of course, people say uh, up in Scotland, it's worse than anywhere. It's much worse, in fact, in Scotland than it is anywhere else in the world. I'd love to take your examples of wokery. Uh, Let's have a a day of bashing the wokists. Why not indeed? The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, we've been talking about a great many things this morning. Of course, uh, the massive story uh, that has dominated many of the newspapers all week, really, uh, has been the sentencing yesterday of Wayne Cousins, a police officer uh, who brutally murdered um, Sarah Everard in March of this year. Lots of questions being asked about why the police didn't know uh, what he was was about to do, why they didn't have any kind of clue about his indecent exposure record back in 2015, about how uh, there were two allegations in 2021 of that one. Just in February at a McDonald's drive through uh, he was uh, reported in 2002 for liking violent porn. A question now that a lot of people are asking is, could it be possible that he may have murdered other people, that he may have carried out more of these hideous crimes before uh, he decided to kidnap and murder Sarah Everard? We're talking now to Dr Jane Monckton-Smith, a forensic criminologist at the University of Gloucestershire. Uh, Dr Jane, a very good morning to you. Good morning. It's an extraordinary story, harrowing really, the detail that came out of the Old Bailey of how he planned the murder, how he kidnapped her and arrested her using his warrant card, put her in the back of a car, handcuffed her. I mean, it really is a remarkable and horrid story. Um, But it is one of those questions that people have, isn't it? That, uh, you know, is it possible that this is the only horrific crime that this man committed? Of course, it's, and it's a very relevant question as as well, because 
we know something about this man's history. I mean, the, the, the things that did come to light about, you know, the accusations of indecent exposure and the pornography, and he even had a, a nickname of the rapist. So mm. people knew, they did know that this man was, um, you know, concerning, shall we say, but nothing was done about it. But so what what is there there that we don't know about? And, you know, these things never come out of the blue, ever. There is always a history. And I think there's probably a lot more history to come out. Yes, because I know from uh, spending quite a bit of time in the USA and used to talk to the FBI quite a lot about their kind of um, uh, their, their serial killer unit and the way that they used to look at the behaviour of these people and how even from a young age you could kind of track some of the things that they did. Seems implausible as well, doesn't it, that with this type of behaviour, the police weren't more aware of, of what he was capable of. But I think they were aware, but it was, um, it was an awareness of concern that was minimised. So it was, it was seen as perhaps, this isn't serious. So indecent exposure, that's not really serious. Anybody could get involved in that. Um, you know, maybe he's depressed, maybe he's this, maybe he's that. And it was minimised and it was um, excused. And it wasn't seen for the potentially dangerous act that it was. I mean, it's an act of sexual aggression, so they should have known. And because the police are held to a high standard, because they have powers of arrest, um, it should have been taken more seriously. Mm. Well, there can be no doubt that they knew, certainly about the incident in the McDonald's, because that was in February of this year. And it was reported to the police by the woman um, who was behind the counter, who was so shaken by what she'd seen that she had to tell them. And they must have then presumably had his licence plate. They must have had his registration. They must have known it was him, in other words. Well, you would hope that they would, wouldn't you? Mm. You you would really hope that they would. Um, we've yet to find out how this was actually handled at the time. And I expect that they will say lessons have been learned mm. because clearly there are some concerning things that did not happen. Yes. And when you saw the interview with him, is there anything you can glean from that in your experience of, of, of these kinds of people? I mean, he was attempting to, to kind of weave this web of complete and utter deceit and nonsense about this uh, Eastern European gang that he said he was kidnapping her for after, after previously denying that he knew anything about it. And, you know, it, it struck me as I watched that as a man who had sort of done some pretty terrible things before. Well, I, I just think that um, he was panicking at that point, wasn't he? Because he knew that, I mean, being a police officer, he knows the power of certain types of evidence. Mm. And he knew that that evidence was closing in on him. I mean, I have seen in other cases the same ridiculous kinds of defences. <laughs> but the thing is, sometimes, not, the, not that particular defence, but sometimes the defences that these people give are believed, are taken at least mm. slightly seriously. And sometimes they even, you know, they even work in court. So, I mean, I've, I've studied this. I have done whole studies on, you know, the defences that are given by um, killers, homicide perpetrators in court, and, and how some of the most implausible excuses have worked. Yes, it is a remarkable thing, isn't it? Because so many of these individuals are, you know, quite intelligent. They're quite capable of uh, of deceiving those who are seeking to investigate them. They're quite good at covering their tracks. And as as you say, being a police officer, he would presumably would have known that the things that he was doing would have made it more difficult to catch him. Well, and and I think as well, you know, he knew probably the the kind of evidence that um, was cornering him. Mm. And he would have known that that would wipe out most of the excuses that he could plausibly have given. And potentially this, this excuse that he gave was the only one that, that could possibly battle the evidence that was against him. Right. Because one of the things that, that we know about these characters as well is that if they do have a sort of a modus operandi that works and presumably part of his MO was, was that this thrilled him what he was doing you know the killing of a woman the kidnapping the 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 the, um, the raping of her all of which sort of fed into whatever his needs for those things those gratifications were um that you that you see so many people going missing that nobody really hears about because nobody knows who they are but they go missing in any event you know it's entirely possible is it not that he could have done this a lot it's possible 
that he could have killed before. Like I said, these things do not come out of the blue. Mm. I think it's even more possible that there could be sexual assaults that will um, that will come out as well yeah. uh, over the course of time. Because this man, I mean, there is no doubt that this man is a sexual predator. Yeah. Everything about him, the history that we know about, has um, a kind of a sexual element to it. Mm. And to go from indecent exposure to rape, abduction and murder in one leap isn't really plausible. No, exactly. And what do you make of the evidence um, and the stories we've seen this morning about these WhatsApp groups that were doing the rounds on um, on, on various sort of police networks, if you like, and people who were exchanging rather ghastly pictures and, and, and horrible thoughts, um, both about sort of sexual violence and, and, and about misogyny and all of that. Um, I mean, what can the police do if they come across stuff like that? I mean, can they discipline people? Can they investigate who's saying those kinds of things? Well, of course they can. There are very strict rules about, um, you know, conduct when you are a police officer. And there's very good reasons for that. And police officers have to be expected to be held to a very high standard because of the powers they have over members of the public, powers to arrest them as we saw in, you know, in this case, mm. it, that was used. So sometimes I do think, though, that, and I've seen, I have seen it, not necessarily in the police, but in other organisations where these WhatsApp groups have started and they've got completely out, out of control and people seem to think that they will never be held accountable for what they're saying. Mm. Those mm. things need to be taken really, really seriously because then it can form a kind of a culture. Yes, absolutely. In the, the organisation. And so, I mean, do you think he would ever speak about anything else that he may have done? Is it worth um, investigators kind of spending time trying to get him to talk about whatever he may have done that they don't know about? Probably not immediately. Um, it, and, and it's quite possible, depending on the, the kind of personality this man is. It, I think one thing I am sure of is it won't be through remorse. Mm. It will be, he, he, if he reveals anything about things he's done, which, you know, I don't know if he will really, um, it will be because it's of some benefit to him. With a, but with a whole life sentence, you know, what will those benefits be? Yeah, exactly right. And as a, 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 a person who is going to be serving a whole life sentence, presumably in, in the high security prison that, that we can find to put him in, um, he'll presumably not be mixing with many people, will he? I would have thought as a police officer, he's going to be in some sort of segregation. Mm. Uh, and, and, you know, and because of the nature of this crime and the publicity that it has had, it, his safety is going to be a concern for those who are looking after him. Yeah. So I, I do not think he'll be out with the main prison population. No, quite. And so, I mean, if anyone, I suppose, um, was thinking that they might have encountered this man, uh, if there's any women listening to this show now who might have, who might have come into contact with him, they should report that, right? They should. They should. And one of the things, um, you know, and, and I know this myself as a woman and as a woman who has been um, exposed to, as it were, on numerous occasions, we do try and minimise these things. We do try and say, well, that's not really, we don't want to bother anyone with this. This is just what, you know, what happens mm. in life. This is part of life. No, report it. We must. The, the, the more that we know about these people's histories, the more we might be able to stop them. Yeah, I think that's very right. Dr. Jane Monkson-Smith, thank you very much indeed. Forensic criminologist at the University of Gloucestershire um, on the terrible story. And, and it will reverberate, I think, for quite a long time, this particular story. Wayne Cousins. I've got a, um, a tweet here, uh, a text rather. It makes you think, is there a connection with Wayne Cousins and the missing girl Claudia Lawrence? She was supposedly dating uh, a police officer, but this never got investigated further. Well, you see, that is the sort of thing that, that definitely the police should be looking into. There's no question at all that the Met should have spotted the fact that this guy was a bad apple to say the very least uh, he was exposing himself to people in february and yet he was not disciplined whatsoever in any way shape or form we said yesterday it's entirely possible that if he had been kicked out of the police force it might not have stopped him committing murder uh, but at least it would have stopped him posing as a police officer to do so and i think that is one of the key points of this story 